Hi, everybody, and welcome back to my live broadcast today. I'm Katanya Taylor, Dr. of Oriental Medicine and Functional Medicine, and I have a very special guest with me today. So I hope some of you get to jump on. Um, this is going to be a wonderful interview. My friend Kathy N. King is joining us today. Kathy is a nurse, but she's currently more involved in the nutritional side of things, and she is a nutritional therapy practitioner. And let's just give my friend Laura, looks like she's on here. I just want to, I like to give people a little bit of time to jump on, Kathy, and then we'll introduce you. But um, so just if anyone or any of you are new to my page and my stuff that I've been doing, I'm Katanya Taylor. I have a website, KatanyaTaylor.com, and uh, you're obviously on my Facebook page or watching this from somewhere else. But um, I work with kids and families to improve their health through nutrition primarily. I'm also an acupuncturist and I work in clinic, but I also do a lot of consulting online and over the phone. So um, we'll be putting a lot of our contacts for both Kathy and I up on this, uh, this feed today so you guys can get hold of us and work with both of us. So anyway, anyway, Kathy, let's get going here. Kathy, why don't you tell us a little bit about, why don't you give us a little background about your nursing and then tell me about going to the Nutritional Therapy Association to get your, become a practitioner. Okay. Sounds great. All right. And thank welcome, you. Kathy. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me um, to, to be on this program with you today. So yeah, a little bit about my background. Um, so always was always, always into natural health, always looking for ways to to be better in my body, to feel better. Um, you know, I got the brilliant idea to go and get a nursing degree when I was in my early 20s. And I thought, well, this would be a really great career. You know, I'll always have a job. Um, you know, nursing was a was a very uh, sought after field in, during its during that time. And um, what I found was that when I was in school, even doing my clinicals, and then when I got out into practice in the hospitals, I found myself looking at what was going on in the hospitals and just kind of making these mental notes like, hmm, make a note. This is not what I want in my life. Um, so, for instance, the first time I saw a hospital birth, and, and nothing wrong with that, you know, that's where women traditionally for years have been having babies, I just decided that was not what I wanted. And I went on to have three home births. Now, that's just what I did. But um, as I went along in the field, I found out more and more that it really, you know, we really needed a huge paradigm shift. And we really needed to prevent people from actually having to be in the hospital. And so my career became more focused on holistic um, health and have always had a passion for nutrition. So when my children were finally at an age, you know, they were in high school, going on to college, I felt that I had time then to go back and um, begin my study of nutrition and, and ended up connecting with Nutritional Therapy Association out of Olympia, Washington, uh, where they have a beautiful uh, functional medicine-based program. So, so that's what I did. Wonderful. And that, that is a program associated with, or is it loosely associated with Weston A. Price Foundation or... Yeah, I mean, we, you know, the, we, yeah, we are, um, loosely associated. That's, that's a good way to say it. Um, we look at the teachings of Weston A. Price, um, as being really solid, um, uh, peer reviewed, um, information that is, uh, very, very applicable to our modern day diets and things like that. And, and so, and looking at ancestral diets. So we, you know, we definitely use that resource. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I put the link up there. I absolutely love them. And their website is full of fabulous information. Absolutely wonderful for families to do any research. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. So tell me a little bit before we jump to, um, well, ketogenic diets, but tell me how, where did you start off? You told me when we, when we first met that you sort of kept getting drawn to um, cancer, treatment of cancer. So um, tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, through my study with Weston A. Price and through my study with Nutritional Therapy Association, what really became clear was that uh, our diets in this country are really uh, laden with sugar. And that really what people had the least understanding about was really about fats and and that how fats actually really are uh, can heal. And unlike the information we got in the 70s and 80s that fats were bad for us, um, I, I started to actually transition my diet to, to being more about fats and more about um, healthy proteins and then keeping it minimal carbs. And in, um, you know, we had had no history of cancer in our family. You know, nowhere did I, had I ever seen that, you know, anybody in my ancestry had had cancer. And then in 2011, my father was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Wow. And he, uh, he, ha the cancer had already metastasized. He died within four months. Um, you know, went through, uh, some radiation, which actually helped to shrink some of his tumors for a while. But then as soon as he got started on chemo, he went downhill and we lost him, you know, four months. And then, um, you know, we thought, okay, so dad's gone. We'll have some time with mom. And uh, within the next four months span, my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer oh and she only lasted one month and um, from the time of diagnosis till her death. And so I lost both of my parents really within about a four month span. Oh and so that was a big wake up call because it's like, OK, you know, here's here are people that as far as we could tell, didn't have any family history. Right. of cancer. So what's going on here? Like, why are my parents all of a sudden getting cancer? And do I need to, you know, be concerned about that? So are you already a nutritional therapy practitioner at this point? I was, I, yeah, I had um, finished my degree and um, our family or my husband and I had made a big move across the country to, from Maine. I had been living in Maine for 26 years to Arizona Mm -hmm. And um, so it was during that period of time that both of my pants, parents passed away and I had been studying nutrition. But, you know, what I found was that and and I, I hate this to sound the way it sounds, but it was like it was too late. You know, the damage had been done. You know how I, I felt. I remember feeling guilty, like, oh, I should know how to fix them. But, mm -hmm. you know, stage four cancer is is pretty rough. And uh you know, yes, you can start making some modifications, but, you know, it, it just, yeah. Sometimes you're just fighting with someone who's, you know, are miserable and already very sick and maybe they're not interested in it. And like you say, it's, they're pretty far along. So yeah. unfortunately, yeah. a lot of diseases are like that. Once mm -hmm. we finally realize we need to do something, it, it can be too late. Right. So were you already doing, working with ketogenic diets at this time, or did this prompt you to move in that direction? Well, so, no, I was not. Um, I was not working with ketogenic diets. However, um, I had 
been looking at the information on ketogenic diets, and um, there was there was some research coming out of the University of Florida. And I know Dr. McCola, who is a who is somebody that's a, a blogger on um, you know on the uh, internet. Um, I had been following his his feeds because oftentimes he would have interviews with uh, various doctors, and there was a doctor out of Florida, uh, Dr. Dominic Diagostino. And then there was another doctor out of New York. Um, oh, gosh, what was his name? He's passed away since. Um, gosh, it'll come to me. But I started listening to some of these interviews and some of you know him talking with these different docs about ketogenic diet and, and the research. And I thought, well, huh, you know, this makes sense because um, fats really are nurturing and fats can, can fuel our bodies and fats can heal. And so this makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and they were also talking a little bit about intermittent fasting too. So I, I, um, when I was in Phoenix, I was working with a naturopathic clinic doing nutrition for them for a while, uh, ketogenic diets. And, um, so I had, had some, got some experience there. And then when I moved to, uh, Reno, I started right in working with this clinic. So, yeah. So why don't we give a little background for those who don't know what is a ketogenic diet? Yeah, absolutely. So ketogenic diet is, um, and, and this, and what I'll do is I'm going to give you some numbers. Um, and this is primarily what we use for, for folks that are, are up against cancer is that we're looking at like 70, around 75% of the diet is going to be fats. It's going to be healthy fats. And then about 15 to 20% of the diet is going to be protein. And then we're keeping the carbs really restricted to three to 5%. Mm. And what, what the ketogenic diet, it, some people sometimes think about Atkins. If you go back and you, you might remember Atkins diet and what he did, his was a high fat, high protein diet. And people were using this for weight loss. Mm-hmm. And um, now that's kind of like, and, and some of his work, Dr. Atkins' work, was actually really spot on. It was really great. Um, I remember looking at that diet and thinking like, hmm, we should clean up this diet a little bit because he was recommending that people to eat a lot of things that, you know, I kind of thought, you know, just needed to be cleaned up. But yeah. anyway, the, the ketogenic diet, um, what you're doing is you're transitioning your body from burning carbohydrates for fuel to burning fats for fuel. Mm-hmm. And it puts you in a state of what we call ketosis, where your body is actually burning fat for fuel instead of burning carbohydrate. And now, if you look back, um, gosh, way before the agricultural revolution, and we are, we're going back to hunter-gatherer days where, where people were actually, nobody was growing plants. People weren't grazing. They weren't, or, they weren't um, grazing animals. They were they weren't farming. Uh, they, they were, were just walking land. Yeah, yeah, they were eating a lot of meat, nuts, tubers. They were hunting, uh, you know, vegetables, things like that, uh, nuts, berries. And um, what would happen too is for periods of time they wouldn't have food, and so they would have to fast. And mm-hmm. that periodic fasting uh, got their bodies burning fats for fuel instead of carbohydrates for fuel. And so that's essentially what the ketogenic diet does is you're burning ketones for fuel rather than burning carbohydrates. And when you start to burn ketones for fuel, it's much cleaner. You produce a lot less free radical damage 
and um, it helps with mitochondrial function and, um, you know, just as a much cleaner way to have your body burn energy, really. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially in a nutshell what ketogenic diet is. Okay, I want to just put that up there. Some of the reasons why I was going to ask was one of my questions. Why is it so much cleaner? So, so carbohydrates are just kind of a dirtier fuel with the body having to work harder, um, have more steps to break down, all that kind of stuff. Not Absolutely. to mention we haven't even gone into insulin and all that. But right. um, okay, so yeah. how does the ketogenic diet work with cancer? Um, so cancer. Um, so one of the things, so cancer is quickly becoming the leading cause of death in this country. So we used to think diabetes, heart disease, right? So cancer is actually becoming the number one killer of people these days. And it's one out of two people will have cancer at some point in their lifetime, which to me is really staggering statistics. Mm-hmm. So um, what we know about cancer is that cancer loves sugar mm-hmm. and cancer will feed on sugar. And cancer can, um, so, so what we do when we're working with people is we try to gradually decrease the amount of sugar that people are eating. And that's sugar in the form of any kind of carbohydrate. So that's just not cane sugar. That's right. all of your carbohydrates that come from, you know, nuts, that come from grains, that come from fruits, come from vegetables, things because like that. It all turns, it all ends up as sugar in our blood. It all ends up as sugar. So what we're doing with with people with cancers, we're doing a restricted ketogenic diet. So we are keeping the carbs very, very low, anywhere from uh, 12 to maybe 20 or 25 grams. I, I like to work people down. So I say, okay, let's shoot for 25 grams of carbs per day. Let's start there. And then we can gradually decrease. And, and everybody's a little bit different. Um, the other thing is that... Um, we're keeping it primarily fats. And, and so the, the amount of protein will end up being between 15 and 20% protein. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happens is that if you eat too much protein, a lot of people think that ketogenic is high protein. If you eat too much protein through the process of gluconeogenesis, the body will start to break it down as sugar. So any right. excess protein also gets converted and broken down as a carbohydrate. Um, and so people are like, how do you get 75% of your diet fats? You know, like that seems crazy. Um, but we're also talking about fats that are incorporated into, um, grass fed meats and also into wild caught fish, eggs, poultry, things like that. A lot of those things do contain high amounts of fat. And then you're, you're adding fat, you know, you have a salad, you're adding, olive oil, hemp oil, any of those kinds of oils to your vegetables. And I love, we, I, I encourage my patients to eat lots of vegetables and vegetables are a great vehicle for fat because you can put butter or ghee or coconut oil or olive oil or anything on your vegetables. And, and vegetables are where all our micronutrients are and they're a great source of fiber. So we want our patients eating lots and lots of greens, vegetables. Um, there are some that are geared more, you know, that are, that are better for you to eat for can um, for cancer than others. Um, we're staying away from the things like potatoes, sweet potatoes, even some squashes 
as people start to transition their body into ketosis, they actually are burning ketones, then you can start to incorporate a little bit more of, um, you know, higher carbohydrate things and just see how your body reacts to it. We're having people check their blood sugar every day and checking their ketones with a with like a little monitor at home. And so they are can you, keep track of it. Doing, are you doing blood ketone testing or urine? Uh, we're doing blood. Yeah. Okay. Urine is a great way to get started with the urine strips, but they're just they're not that accurate over time. Right. And even blood monitors, I mean, they're they're as good as we've got right now. Right. Um, so it's a great way to just get yourself a ballpark as to where you're um, you know, where your ketones are and where your blood sugar is. And we're wanting to keep the blood sugar for our patients between 60 and 80. Okay. Which is pretty low. Um, Yeah. Um, And then the ketones are, uh, oh gosh, they're measured in, um, it's MM slash L, (laughs) which I can't remember what it stands for. Somewhere like point between one or so and Three or four, kind well, of the range. We, we try to keep them between like two to four, two point zero to four point zero. And if you're getting like a point five reading, that's great because you are definitely you're burning some ketones then. Right. And sometimes we start our patients with a three day fast too. That's a great way to um, have your body start producing some ketones is through fasting. Fasting. Okay. Let, let's address because I I know this is something when we talk about carbohydrates, I think. Um, so many people are are confused and, and understandably so. Corn is a carbohydrate. Kale is a carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Jelly beans are a carbohydrate, right? So when we're talking, when you're talking about veggies, uh, and and all veggies are carbohydrates. So when you're talking about veggies on a ketogenic diet, we absolutely absolutely want to have our veggies. Um, but talk about so I, I have glycemic index and glycemic load up here on the screen, and I think that you know if when people are first starting out. Um, what, you know, some people are good at, you know, if you say stay away from the starchy vegetables, they understand that stay away from the grains. They, they understand that. But when you start, it it can get a little more convoluted when we get into this, um, like squashes, maybe even Mm -hmm. carrots. So what is a a good way? Do you use glycemic load, glycemic index charts? Do people look that stuff up? Are you just telling them what to eat? Just basically stick with the leafy greens, the cruciferous, that kind of thing. I, I do try to give them kind of a working definition of, of uh, glycemic load, glycemic index, but I don't necessarily pay attention to those numbers. What I'm really teaching them to do, um, and we have a lot of different conversion tables that we use, but, um, you know, any anything that you purchase in the store that's in a package, for instance, you can flip that over, you can read the ingredient list, you can also look at how that what the breakdown is of fats, carbohydrates, and protein. And usually what you'll see is carbohydrates listed as total carbohydrate. It'll be a number there. And underneath, it'll say fiber. And um, so what what we're going for is the net carbs. And that's what that's where you have the total carbohydrate minus the fiber equals the net carb. And that's what we're counting is the net carb. And so when you take a look and it's hard because vegetables don't have a label, right? So we don't always know how much right. carbohydrate. So I, I do have some tables that I refer people to. So like, for instance, um, I think a half a cup of broccoli, for instance, has probably about six grams of total carbohydrates. Okay. But now when you subtract out the fiber, um, I think the fiber is four. You're wow. left with two 
grams net carbs. And so you could really eat a whole cup of broccoli mm-hmm. and really only have that be four net carbs. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's pretty decent. And a lot of your leafy greens are the same way. So like kale, for instance, you know, again, I don't know the number offhand, but let's just say a cup of kale is eight grams of carbs and you've got six grams of fiber in there, then you're left with two grams of net carbs. And so you can see that that's how you can really eat an abundance of vegetables. Now your, like you said, your potatoes, your starches, they're going to be a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're doing is we're having people add the total amount of carbs for the day. So however that adds up for them, if they decide they want to eat a slice of orange and have that be their carbs for the day, right. they can do that. You know, they, they really could. But what I'm trying to do is help them have a wide variety of, um, you know, mainly the vegetables. And, and we do, we do, um, I do allow, you know, a lot of the berries are really great sources of fruit because they're very high in fiber and low and lower in the glycemic index. And then um, also green apples. You know, we, we do a little bit of green apple now and then too. And um, again, everybody's different. So some people can still stay in ketosis with a higher amount of carbs. I happen to be one of those people that I really got to restrict my carbs if I want to get into ketosis. And right. Um, so yeah, I've been doing this ketogenic diet now for, well, close to a year almost, um, about, about 10 months. And, um, it does take something to convert that body over to burning ketones. Now, are you using some additional fats, like some coconut oil, maybe coconut oil in your, in your coffee, that kind of thing to bump up, help you get into ketosis? Yeah. And I don't drink coffee every day, but I, I make something called a, uh, I guess the, the name that's been coined is the bulletproof style coffee um, where you add butter or ghee. You can add coconut oil. You can add something called MCT oil, which is a derivative of coconut oil and um, blend it up in a Nutribullet or a a blender or a hand mixer. And you get a nice frothy drink and it's a nice delivery for those fats. And um, oftentimes that can be incorporated into extending your amount of fasting time. So if you, let's say, had your last meal of the day at around six or seven o'clock, you know, you fasted through the night, went to bed, and the next morning you had your bulletproof coffee or tea, Mm -hmm. um, you can extend that fasting time to maybe 10 or 11 o'clock. I find when I have that bulletproof coffee in the morning, I'm not hungry until maybe 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And so it's helping you do sort of the, your intermittent fasting. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Clean burning fuel. It's so it's fueling the brain. Let's talk a little bit more about specifically what ketones do in the body. So, um, you know, one of the areas that is, is huge for is brain function. And um, what I'm more most familiar with is its use in Alzheimer's and preventing Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And the theory that Alzheimer's is, is by some researchers are calling it type three diabetes. Mm-hmm. which means that the brain cells are unable to adequately use glucose anymore. And so the brain cells are essentially getting starved and that these ketones go in and they're, and in fact, the brain, I think, prefers ketones, ketone bodies as a fuel. And so the ketones can go almost directly into the brain. They're absorbed quite quickly through the stomach and then they don't even have to be processed through the liver. They go to the brain and they're a fabulous fuel for the brain, whether or not you're preventing Alzheimer's or treating it, 
you know, for any of us who we're aging a little bit or we just want help with memory. Um, I know people, you know, maybe you can speak to this are so much clearer and the brain fog goes away. And I, you know, I have a, a few friends who are, if they jump on here, I don't know if they'll get to you today, but have recently started ketogenic diets and say they feel fabulous. So brain function, can you add anything to that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of my story that quite honestly, the reason that I started being drawn to the ketogenic diet was even prior to my parents dying of cancer, you know, we have a history of stroke and uh, some mental illness. And then, um, oh gosh, what was the other thing? Uh, stroke and mental illness. But anyway, the brain dysfunction. So something I had suffered with depression for many, many years. And so when I started studying nutrition and started looking at these healthy fats and seeing how that they were actually more nourishing for the brain, that was another reason I started switching over to, you know, using fat for energy rather than the carbohydrate. And, and that was, you're exactly right. I mean, I started noticing that I had more clarity. I had more focus. I had better mood. Um, and, you know, I knew that I was protecting my brain by upping my fats and, um, yeah, and just found that uh, I actually used nutrition to heal my depression, get off antidepressants and to, um, you know, because I didn't want to be on drugs, right? You know, nobody wanna has, wants to have to take that. And I knew that there were, that I, I know that the body, I, I believe in the body's ability to heal itself and that if we just give it the right tools, it can do that. And then we don't necessarily have to take all of these expensive medications, um, that that's not necessarily helping us. But absolutely, um, Dr. Bruce Fife was one who started to do uh, studies with coconut oil and people with uh, Alzheimer's and degenerative brain conditions. So he published a lot of research about that. And I know um, Dr. Perlmutter, who is another uh, neurologist that wrote the book called Grain Brain and Brain Maker. He has been using ketogenic diets since before <laughs> they even started to become popular uh, for his patients with neurological conditions. And again, uh, just what you said, the same idea is that those fats uh, are nutrition for the brain and the right. brain, grab those cells, you know, they, they grab onto that fat and, um, you know, and and the sugar is what actually is really degrading those brain cells. Right. So, Kathy, we have a couple of questions here. Um, so Martha is asking, does your body adapt to the 60 to 80 um, the milligrams in your blood, the 60 to 80 level? And she says that when she gets into the 80, she starts having low blood sugar feelings. She feels shaky, sweaty, um, ready to eat anything in sight. And she says she doesn't eat any starchy carbs, but she's also not good with with ketosis. Mm -hmm. So of course we get into, you know, everyone is, everyone is very, very different. So how, how do you slowly adapt people to that level? Is there other people that just can't be in that 60 to 80 range? Yeah, that's a really good question. And hi, Martha. It's nice to hear from you. Um, uh, I know Martha from the Phoenix, Arizona, my days down in Phoenix. Um, You know, so, so here's the thing is that when, it takes something to transition that body over to burning ketones for fuel. And we can experience something during that time called what they call has been coined the keto flu, where mm-hmm. actually the body, you know, 
does go through that you'll have some dizziness, maybe some headaches, maybe that, yeah, that kind of feeling of shakiness or low blood sugar. And there will be a period of time where, where that does occur. But if you really stick with it, that will pass. And what I tell people is that when they are experiencing that, um, you've got to go for a high fat snack. You know, not necessarily that we, we want to grab for the sugary thing because that's what the brain is saying. Sugar, sugar. Um, and that's why it's so important when if you're really taking this on and, um, you know, when you're transitioning your body is that you've got to have snacks with you all day long. Like and, and what I find, too, is that if I have the right proportion of fats and protein and carbohydrate at a meal, um I can go a lot longer in between meals. I, I can I can go for a stretch of six hours before I eat another meal and not have um, any kind of uh, effects from that at all. Because once your body's starting to burn those fats for fuel, you're not going to have that anymore. Um, I typically my blood sugar typically does run low anyway, but I've checked I've checked my blood sugar sometimes and it's been 58 and I have felt fine. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, again, it does take a transition. There is definitely a transition period. But I would say if you're if your blood sugar gets around 80, you know, and you are feeling that shakiness, drink a glass of water, take a t- tablespoon of coconut oil or, you know, have some kind of a high fat snack. And um, that's kind of how we help people get through that period. Um, yeah. So there's an adaptive phase. Another thing I'll add to adapting to a lower carb diet is um, good high quality salt. Yeah. Because carbohydrates um, make us hold water. And the minute we get rid of all those carbohydrates, we're going to lose a lot of water. And so we're going to lose also a lot of electrolytes there. So uh, real salt, the brand real salt is one I recommend a lot. And um, pink Himalayans are decent, but I think real salt's a higher quality. I don't know. Maybe you have a few names. The other thing I wanted to just say though, too, um, the adaptive phase, but do, I mean, let's face it, not everyone's going to do on ketosis. So how do you know, how do we figure this kind of stuff out? How do we know that, you know, if Martha just has tried and tried and tried and she just doesn't do well with ketosis, you know, I guess it's just trial and error, um, your level of carbs and all that kind of stuff to, in order to figure that out. Right. Yeah, it, it does. It, it, it is a process and, and it's like finding your sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I was going to coach somebody right now that, let's say, didn't have an active disease process like cancer or diabetes or what have you, um, what I would probably do is I'd, I'd probably have them for the first three days just tally up everything that they're eating and just get a ballpark as to where they are in terms of their carbohydrates. Are they at 50? Are they at 100? Um, and then from there, let's say you've established that maybe this person is They've been cutting back sugars for a while, but they're probably sitting at around maybe 50 uh, grams of carbs per, per day. And, um, but they're still not in active ketosis. Then what I would say is let, okay, well, let's, let's cut that down. Let's shoot for, you know, whatever they feel is reasonable, 40, 30. You know, I'd probably go for let's shoot for 30 grams of carbs a day and see how you feel. And, um, I think that's the best way to go about it is just, transitioning the body slowly. So it, it does require some tracking. There's some great apps out there that you can use to, you know, count your carbs and, and just keep track of that. So, so that you're slowly starting to transition that body. Cause I think as I was talking to you earlier, you know, my sweet spot is, 
is like almost under 25 grams of carbs a day for me to actually be in active ketosis. Right. And, um, you know, and that's also restricting my protein to about between 15 and 20 percent. Mm-hmm. So in order for me to stay in that therapeutic range anyway, um, right. which is between two and two and four to stay okay. in that therapeutic range, I have to restrict. But for people who are just maybe trying to do it just for health reasons, you know, I'd say for women, you know, maybe start with 30, you know, and see see what that feels like for a few days. The other okay. thing is that I imagine that somebody like Martha probably you know, might have a, have difficulty fasting. So, um, you know, that, that can be challenging for people is to maybe try to start out with that three day fast to get some ketones going. Uh, but for somebody like her, I might recommend more like a fast where let's say you've got, um, you're drinking teas. I say put a tablespoon of coconut oil in your tea, you know, drink that, um, have some bone broth and maybe add a little bit of fat to that bone broth. And so that you're you're incorporating some fats throughout the day and you are getting a little bit of like some protein and maybe a little bit of um, some fats and carbohydrates to kind of keep you going. And, um, you know, it's it just it's a process and, and everybody is different. So I hope and, that answers that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely playing with it a lot and, in, in, you know, figuring out where you feel best. Um, you know, there's other markers in, you know, blood levels that you might want to be watching out for. We, one of the issues that I've, you know, come across in a lot of, of working with this is, um, thyroid numbers, thyroid levels. Um, there's a little bit of controversy there as to whether or not your thyroid is decreasing a little in function because it doesn't need to be revved up versus, you know, are we actually, you know, pathologically decreasing its function. But um, there can be a little bit of decrease in T3 um, mm-hmm. when you're not, when you don't have enough insulin in some people. So, you know, and that could be leading to lack of energy, that kind of stuff. Maybe that ends, maybe that's just a transition period, part of the transition period. But, you know, I think thyroid numbers are something you do want to watch. Um, are there any other things you think people, let, let's go into who this diet might be best for, who might want to try it, and who probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, who the diet might be best for is anybody who has any kind of, um, you know, conditions such as cancer, diabetes, or heart disease, um, people that know that maybe they have a family history of those things, and um, who the ketogenic diet, I mean, so there's a difference too, is, is like, are you, if you're working actively with a doctor or a nutritionist or somebody who has training in the ketogenic diet, you know, I think it, it pretty much could be for anybody. Um, but for the average person who's just starting out, you know, if you have any history of like insulin resistance or like you even mentioned thyroid condition, you're on a thyroid med or you have some kind of autoimmune condition active like that, I would definitely I would take this on with some kind of a licensed practitioner. But for the average person who is just maybe um, wanting to increase their health or maybe wants to lose a few pounds, um, I think there's a lot, a lot to be gained just by, and you know, and it doesn't even have to be ketogenic, but just by decreasing our amounts of carbohydrates that we eat in a day and replacing those with some healthy fats. So, whether or not it's something you're, you're, you're you know, really going to jump into full guns, um, 
I just think that there's that we can do ourselves a lot of good by just reducing the amount of carbohydrates and um, reducing any probability that some of these diseases are going to set in. And, you know, what I'm really wanting to transition is to doing work with people that's just about prevention, about, prevent, you know, eating to prevent these illnesses. And I think with the statistics that we're seeing nowadays, it's to all of our benefit. And I know something that's passion, a passion of both of ours is when we see the amount of sugar that is in a lot of children's foods mm-hmm. and um, in a lot of, um, you know, Halloween, right, is coming up. And we know our kids are going to be getting just doused with sugar. And um, that's a concern because what we're seeing, too, statistic-wise, is that after accidents, cancer is the number two killer of children in the United States right now. So wow. I, it's, it's hard for me to even really believe that. Yeah. Um, but that, those are st- the statistics that we're seeing. And so, you know, this is something that I, you know, I talk with parents about a lot. And I, you know, I really, I really feel strongly that you've, you know, parents are like, well, how do we control this amount of sugar that our kids are eating? And, you know, People will do things like meatless Mondays or have no TV on Friday. How about doing a day where you just don't have any sugar? You know, say, right. okay, every, you know, every Monday we're going to go, <laughs> we're not going to have added sugar. And then, and then you can slowly start increasing that. Uh, because with, with this kind of a, we have the awareness now, we know what's happening. Um, you know, we've just, we've got to take this on. It's our responsibility as parents and, you know, as healthcare providers. Right. So transitioning into that whole thing, and we have a couple of questions here that we'll come back to in just a minute, but um, transitioning into, into not only children's diets, but our typical American diet, when we're talking about, you know, basically the opposite of ketosis, we have an extremely high refined carbohydrate diet. It is, makes up the basis of what was the food pyramid. Nothing has really changed much. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, these recommendations are not necessarily supported by rigorous science or anything and they're making us fat and sick and so one of the really big things is that these processed carbs and even just carbs even if they're not processed even if they're you know einkorn wheat and you know potatoes out of the straight out of the ground these carbohydrates and starches turn straight to sugar in our bloodstream and so a you know you can pop a teaspoon of sugar or you can eat a half a baked potato and it's going to be the same, basically have the same effect. Now there are ways that whole foods like a potato slow it down a little bit with some of the fibers and stuff like that. So when you're talking about whole foods, it is a better, it is a better bet. When we're talking about the processed junk, it's just, again, straight to sugar. In fact, one of my favorites is depending on the bread, but um, it's kind of a nice pictorial is that two pieces of bread equal a Snickers bar in amount of sugar, a full size Snickers bar, two pieces of bread. Now, you know, like I said, it's certain, certain breads, maybe not all of them, but um, we need to start wrapping our brains around the fact that the unfortunate basis of the American diet is sugar is too high in sugar. So when we talk about our kids and, and, you know, I talk about this a lot where, you know, I think that parents think that when their children are slim young, healthy, and active, um, they burn those, those sugar calories off right away, whether it's carb sugar, whether it's a donut or goldfish or graham crackers. I, it, it's all the same to me. 
-hmm. And parents think that because they're slim and active, they're burning that off. There are so many other repercussions to having added sugar in the bloodstream at one time. The body can only handle one teaspoon of sugar at a time. And so the damage that's being done, you know, it's not just about burning that sugar off. It's about damage to the blood vessels, about damage to the brain. It's about too much insulin. You know, that insulin ends up burning out the pancreas. So there's so many things that it's, it's much more than about just burning off all those carbs. And it's also about filling those little tummies with all that processed carbs and not getting in all the other great stuff, like the fats we're talking about and the veggies. So it goes from that end of the, from the keto end of the spectrum to the standard American diet, which is making up three meals a day for our children, unfortunately, many. Then we go to, well, you know, a, a few pieces of candy here and there aren't going to hurt. This is happening every day now, you know, the candy. So we've got the candy treats on top of a sugary diet. And this is where, you know, we're really messing up. Yeah. And so, you know, people say, oh, a little bit of sugar, they're going to burn it off. Or I grew up eating a ton of sugar and look at me, I'm fine. Or, you know, oh, let them eat all the candy they want on Halloween night and then we'll throw it all away. I can't, I can't deal with any of that. I mean, that load of sugar, if they, you know, eat 12 pieces of candy that night, okay, fine. A young, healthy body's probably going to recover. But what kind of damage are we doing over time, you know? Exactly. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, kind of going back towards ketogenic, but, you know, I definitely don't think a normal healthy child should probably be on a ketogenic diet unless they're epileptic or have cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would maybe a moderate, you know, let's talk a little bit about what a traditional, wholesome, moderate to high fat, nutrient dense diet look like in a kid. Um, let's take yeah. out those, you know, let's, let's talk about that because it's, it's generally in relation to an American standard American diet. It is a ketogenic diet almost, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and you and I were just talking a little bit, earlier too, um, you know, gosh, there's a couple things, you know, when you were talking about um, kids and sports and how, yeah, they're burning it off, they're health, they're, they're, they're healthy, they're slim. Mm-hmm. One of the things I remember, you know, like my children are older now, um, but one of the things I remember seeing um, like out on the soccer field was that the amount of injuries mm-hmm. that we were seeing in kids that were eating these high sugar diets that weren't eating the, the proper balance or getting the correct nutrition that you were seeing a lot more injuries in a lot of kids much younger, like some really pretty serious injuries because again, you're not getting the, the proper uh, amino acid structure that, that builds healthy muscles, that, um, that collagen support, all of those things. So that was one thing. But the other thing is that, you know, and, and I, I was saying to you the earlier is like, I don't know where, what happened. We, the, the American Heart, American, yeah, it was American Heart Association put out some guidelines a while. It's 2009, right? I'm like, where was I? Did, I never saw these guidelines. But one yeah. of the things that they were saying was that for the for, guidelines for women, men, and children was that for women, what they were recommending was around 24 grams of carbohydrates per day. For men, it was 37 grams of carbohydrates per day per day. And for children under the age of eight, we're talking about 12 grams of carbohydrates per day. So that's not much. Are you so are we talking about from sugar? Because I can't imagine. Yeah. Yes, from sugar. So so I, again I have those up on the screen and that tr- so I needed to translate that for myself too. So women, that recommendation it, it's actually fairly low, which is great. Yes. 
that that this is you know American Heart Association. Amer- um, so women six teaspoons, which we what we would do is multiply it by four, right, to get to grams. Right. right. Because grams is more what most of us probably understand because they're in in the the ingredients list. And right. then kids is three teaspoons of sugar, which is twelve grams. Which, okay, an honest kid's juice box, which is the lowest one you can get out there on the market, is 10 grams of sugar. Right. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's nothing. Yeah, and a a 20-ounce can of soda is, I don't know, somewhere around 60 or 65. Yep. I don't even know what's in a Gatorade, but I know it's quite a bit. Yeah, it's up there. It's probably 48 to 60. I don't think a regular Gatorade is all that better, much better than a soda. No, probably not. Just, you know, of course, we didn't even get into the whole um, artificial sugar thing, too. <laughs> I don't know if we oh, want to go there. So much, there's so much more to talk about. Um, the other thing I want to I want to point out, because um, one of the things that, you know, we say we say fruit is is a pretty healthy choice, especially for children. Mm-hmm. Um you know, our fruit these days is huge and many, you know, genetically modified to be very, very sweet. It's nothing like the fruit that was around 100, 200 or 1,000 years ago. So there is that. Um, I consider fruit, I still consider fruit a bit of a treat for my kids and family. Um, but fruit still is a better, much better way to go because you've got all the nutrients, all the antioxidants. It's mm-hmm. Uh, water and fiber. So you're getting all those things in there that are going to buffer that blood sugar spike. Um, but a big one is fruit juice. So the minute you juice a fruit, you have just taken away all the fiber, which is the biggest buffer to the blood sugar. And if you think about a six ounce cup of anything, orange juice, apple juice, that probably that six ounce cup probably takes eight to 12 oranges to make. When is your child ever going to sit down and eat eight to 12 oranges? So that's where we got to start thinking about sh- about fruit juice. Um, the sugar content in fruit juice is up there with soda. Exactly. And and the other thing about uh, which people don't really realize is that all of those packaged juices, they're all pasteurized, mm-hmm. which means basically the pasteurization, it has to be pasteurized. Um, it's, it's a law that it has to be pasteurized. So that's killing off even any of the healthy enzymes mm-hmm. that you might get in fresh squeezed juice or, you're, you know, juice that you're making on your own. Um, so it's really, you're just kind of drinking dead, dead flavored water is really what you're drinking. You're not, you're getting some carbohydrates. Yeah. But you're not getting a whole lot else from it. Maybe there's some added potassium or sodium or something to it. Um, that's what a lot of those drinks do is they add extra synthetic vitamins on top of it. Um, you know, depending on the brand, there are some that are organic that are better. Um, but as you said earlier, it's, it still breaks down to sugar in the body. Right. Um, you know, there's definitely you always want to be looking for the non GMO. You know, that's a whole nother topic of conversation is getting into the genetic modification of things. And like you said, you know, fruits nowadays can look a lot different than they did before. Um, I would urge people to go online and look at the clean 15 and the dirty dozen so that they can uh, determine which fruits they want to they need to buy organic and which ones are safe to have. Um, that are non-organic. And for instance, berries, which again are on that lower glycemic index, you want those berries to be organic because they don't have any outer protection or any skin and they're just sponges for pesticides and things like that. So that's, you know, again, that's getting into a whole nother thing 
that that compounds the problem. Um, but earlier you said something about a, a typical child's diet, you know, so kids get up in the morning, they're getting ready for school. Parents are, are you know, get, trying to get everybody out the door. And we're looking for sometimes it's got to be fast and quick. And so sometimes it's a, a you know, a piece of toast in the toaster or a Pop-Tart or, you know, it just depends. Some kids don't even get breakfast. Maybe it's a muffin. You know, all of those things are going to be high in sugar. Um, you know, maybe, in, you know, in ease, you know, parents don't always have time. I mean, I was lucky when I was a kid, my dad got up and made us breakfast every morning. And a lot of times it was eggs, you know, mm-hmm. eggs with bacon. And, uh, yeah, we had our share of French toast and we had cereal and things like that. Um, but the food has gotten a lot different. And, um, you know, what I would tell parents is that in the morning when you're preparing your breakfast for your child, Think about maybe having a nice healthy dose, dose of fat in your, in there, whether it's peanut butter or almond butter or, um, instead of buying the, um, skim milk or, or 2% fat free, you want to buy whole milk. You want to get, uh, you know, any of your dairy products that have fat in them. Um, if that child is eating dairy products. So you're, you're always looking for the higher fat content. Even a slice of cheese in the morning would be better than, um, you know, some of the things that we feed our children. If you're having toast, putting butter and maybe uh, peanut butter on top of it. Absolutely. Um, so it's going to slow down the absorption of those sugars and that spike that blood sugar so quickly. Yeah. And there's so many things that fat does. You know, we just talked about the keto, you know, ketogenic aspect of it. Um, right. That's all your vitamins, the ability to absorb nutrients when you have fat in the diet as well as what we're saying now, which is that having fat and fiber with your carbohydrates slows down their absorption. So, so when you're eating straight sugar, it's straight, straight to the blood shoots it straight Mm up. When we get it with a little bit of fiber, a little bit of fat, you know, adding fat for sure helps to buffer that. Um, So, you know, if you're going to eat some, hopefully some high quality sprouted grain toast, maybe gluten-free, get that butter on there, get the peanut butter on there. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, eggs and bacon in the morning. Kids need fat and they need protein. Mm-hmm. Then they get to school midway through the day uh, or midway through the morning and their blood sugar is dropping. And then we're, you know, we're hearing about the behavior problems, you know, kids. Start, it, and, and it affects some kids fall asleep. Some kids get crazy. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, do your teacher a favor, <laughs> you know, and and, uh, you know, n- properly nourish your child. And, and like you mentioned earlier, Weston A. Price is a great resource to go to uh, for parents to get ideas about what to feed their children, healthy snacks, healthy breakfast, things like that. That's such a great resource. And just don't fear the fat, you know, um, the only thing is to pick the quality fats Mm -hmm. and staying away from, unfortunately, what everyone's been told is the vegetable oils, the seed oils, the corn oils. Those are all horrible. They're highly processed. They're oxidized and full of, of, you know, oxidization and, and, um, you know, they're, they're just damaged by the time they get to the shelves, they're causing inflammation. So we want to really focus back on the stuff that our grandmothers were eating, the butter, the animal fats, um, the stuff, you know, fats that come from fruits and nuts. So olive oil, avocado oil, you know, the nut butters. Um, so, you know, we do want to pick the fats properly, but kids need fats. Their brains are growing and our, our brains are 60% fat. They need fat to replace, you know, those growing cells. So 
don't be afraid of the fat, especially in your kids. The high fat dairy is, is a really big one. Um, you know, when they, when they defat dairy, they increase the sugar content in that dairy. Right. So we want to be lowering the sugar content and increasing that fat content, whether you're doing a ketogenic diet or you're just trying to feed your child healthy, you know, we're, this right. is sort of a spectrum we're talking about. We've talked about the ketogenic. We're not necessarily saying kids should be ketogenic, but certainly compared to our standard American diet, what, how kids should be eating looks a lot more like a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. where we're, we're really focusing on the, ve- the the leafy greens and the veggies. Now they do, you know, kids do, they're growing, they need, they definitely need more carbs, but let's keep them the healthy carbs, the root vegetables, the starch, um, the squashes. Uh, but they need, you know, growth factor needs insulin to stimulate it. So they definitely need a little bit of carbs, but just really focusing on quality of fats and then the quality of the carbohydrates. Yeah. And a- another great thing for kids in the morning too is smoothies. You can, oh gosh, think of a million recipes for smoothies and it doesn't have to all just be fruit. You know, you can throw a tablespoon of coconut oil in there. You can throw some peanut butter or almond butter in there with it. You can even, um, you know, you know, some decent, decent enough protein powder in there for them that you're, you know, improving that. And and kids like that and it's easy to drink. They can drink it in the car on the way to school. Right. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I'm always trying to find ways to get fat into my kids you know, if they're going to get the, a sprouted grain piece of toast, they get butter on it. And then if they're going to put their peanut butter, they put that over that. Um, you know, the eggs and the, the higher quality bacon, trying to stay away from, you know, too pro- too much processing, too much sugar. Let me answer a quick question. I don't even know if Chris is still on anymore, but she and we kind of have addressed this. But are there any supplements or powder drinks that are geared towards ketones to help with the brain and memory? So we've done a lot of talking about let me pull it up. Um, about putting MCT oil, coconut oil, or even butter in your coffee, um, or adding it to anything. So, but MCT oil, which is a derivative of coconut oil, is a very, it's a short chain fatty acid, which really goes quickly to the brain. So that's one of the best things you can add to help brain function and help get into ketosis. Um, but all the fats are, you know, how you're going to do that. One of my favorites is, um, they're called fat bombs. So they're make them any way you want, but generally it'll have um, coconut oil, maybe some nut butter. Um, Some people will put cocoa powder, um, maybe a little bit of honey. It just depends on how, how, how keto you're going, but um, maybe a little dried fruit if you want to get, have a little more sugar in there, but Mm -hmm. getting some nuts, fats, and then you put them in the fridge and the coconut oil hardens. So then you, you can make them into either squares or bottles or something like that. Yeah. So that's a good treat to, um, so just look up fat bombs, B O M B on the internet. They're all over the place. So that's, those are a couple great ways. Any other ideas from you, Kathy on, um, yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons to a lot of these, um, different, uh, protein powders and things that are on, out on the market. But what I would say is, you know, just depending on your, your likes and dislikes and depending on, you know, what you're, you know, if you, if you, somebody who tends to, you know, do better with, you know, a vegetable based diet or somebody who does better with a protein based diet, you know, I do use a whey concentrate protein powder from time to time. And I try to just find a really good quality, uh, comes from grass fed sources, um, that, you know, is non-GMO. And, um, you know, that can be a really great quick thing to use, like in a smoothie, uh, for kids, for, for us, whatever. Um, if you're, if you need some quick energy on the go, 
one of the things I also like to do to add fat and um, a good amount of protein and, um, you know, I, I try to always source my eggs really well. They're, they're um, you know, locally sourced, cage-free. I know they're healthy eggs. Is I'll put a couple of um, egg yolks, raw egg yolks, right into my smoothie. And, oh, my gosh, it just, you know, it ups the fat. It ups the uh, protein. It makes that drink really smooth and creamy. It's so yummy. Um, and a lot of people think, ooh, raw eggs, like, yeah, and I wouldn't go to, um, you know, regular grocery store chain and just buy any old egg and put that in my smoothie. But if I know I'm sourcing my eggs um, from a good local farm or they're good sources, um, you know, I've done that. And that's that's really up to a person's discretion. But um, the other thing I've done, too, is I've I've uh, grind. I take a coffee grinder and I just grind things like um, pumpkin seeds, flax seeds, maybe even chia seeds or sesame seeds, grind those up, put those in a smoothie as well. Um, and you can do that the night before, have them all ground up and ready to go for your smoothie in the morning. And that adds a lot of, um, you know, some of those healthier omega-6 oils and um, and can add some uh, fat and protein to your, your drink as well and some sustainability. Um, so chia seed pudding I'm putting up here. Um, yeah. Chia seeds are a fabulous source of omega-3 fatty acids, and they have a coating on them that when you soak them overnight in water um, or any other healthy liquid substance, um, they get gelatinous. And then you have it makes its own like a pudding or even like they make even make a chia seed jam because it forms almost like a pectin or a gelatin or something. So those are great to soak overnight. Um, there are chia seed pudding recipes out there. Um, I have some of them. I don't know where they are right now, but they're, it's really easy to look up chia seed pudding. And then like Kathy was saying, uh, if you soak them overnight and put them in your smoothie, you'll have some of that gelatinous um, quality to your shake. Uh, let's see here. Um, you were talking, you were going to talk a little bit about cavities. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to go there or not. Cavities are a big one with, with, my family. Um, one of my stories is that my son had six cavities when he was four years old. And um, that was very, very traumatic and very difficult. And was he has not had one cavity since then. He's now 12, which is in, in full part due to this kind of eating. Um, but those six cavities caused so much trauma over the years, you know, replacing fillings that fell out and just all sorts of stuff. It's just not a a path I want anyone to go down. So I do focus a lot on cavities. And one of the things with sugar and, and cavities is that, that I want to tell you is that we focus primarily on sugar on the teeth causing cavities, sugar feeding bacteria in our mouths and that bacteria cause um, releasing acids and that causes cavities. There is a whole, that is kind of like the tip of the iceberg. What sugar does inside of our bodies has this amazing ability to alter the nutrition and the blood flow and the lymphatics and all the stuff that feeds our teeth from the inside, sugar really, really alters that. So we have sort of this natural flushing mechanism that goes from the inside of our teeth that brings, you know, blood and nutrients to our teeth from the inside from our diet. But what also happens to this flow is that it's flowing from the inside out. It's actually cleansing our teeth and it's actually keeping a lot of those things that are in our mouth. So you know, sugar and those bacteria aren't, aren't ideal, but as long as we have this nice cleansing function from inside our teeth, we can protect against the sugar and the bacteria. But what happens when blood sugar, so this has nothing to do with sugar on the teeth, 
When blood sugar is elevated, this flushing action either stops or actually reverses. So it can pull in whatever's in the oral cavity. It can actually be pulled into the tooth. And this is really a big, big, big cause of cavities. So, yes, we want to brush our teeth after eating sugar. Yes, we want to floss. You know, yes, we want to keep, the, you know, up our oral hygiene. But sugar in the blood, sugar, high blood sugar is a really, really big cause of, of cavities that we don't realize. So just because you brushed your teeth, your blood sugar is going to, you know, set you up for cavities anyway. So blood sugar is just such a really big thing that we just don't, we just overlook. We just don't, you know, with the whole um, anti-fat craze that really started in the early 80s, basically sugar got a free ride. You know, fat was bad, saturated fat was bad, cholesterol was bad, animal foods, were, animal meats were bad, and but sugar got a free ride. And I really, and I know you do, believe that sugar is the source of, or the a big source of so many of our chronic degenerative diseases that I, we are seeing skyrocket. So this, you're mm -hmm. familiar with this book. Yep. Um, nutritional, nutrition and physical degeneration that was uh, written by Dr. Weston A. Price, who we talked about as well. Um, yep. Incredible book. Um, if you just even can go to the library and page through it, you'll see how he took pictures of teeth and yep was able to actually determine people's state of health just by looking at the mouth. Okay. That is a great book. I'm typing that up really quick. Show that again. Yeah, sure. Um, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston A. Price. Uh, one of the most profound uh, books written on nutrition ever. So glad yeah. he wrote that book. And that was a lot of his discoveries were showing that when people moved away from their, their traditional diets mm -hmm. and the two keys were that they introduced sugar and flour into their diet. So basically processed foods and sugar into these, you know, indigenous diets, they moved to the cities or, or those in those foods came to their little tribal villages, their physical degeneration as well as their oral health plummeted within a generation. Exactly. And, that is, you know, that's sugar right there. But when we, when we remove fats because we're afraid of them and sugar gets the free ride and the number of servings of processed carbs and grains and all bread and all that goes to six to 11 servings required, we're just setting ourselves up for all these, these diseases. So fats are cleaner burning. They're essential for our brain. They're essential for all of our, um, cell membranes. Um, we, we just cannot live without fat and sugar is really sugar is really what's what's doing most of the damage. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. I think we have covered a lot. And yeah. yeah. Um, let's see if I had any other questions. Martha had a follow up. So I don't know that it necessarily requires, but let me read it to you. I don't have a problem fasting. I can fast 24 hours with no food and no blood sugar problems, but my blood sugar doesn't go low during that time either. It always stays around 100. So what do you think about fasting? This fast, that's, that's interesting to me that she could fast and still have a blood sugar of 100. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, you know, every, every mod metabolic type is different. What, what's interesting is that she would fast, her blood sugar would still stay up, but then yet when she's eating food, she's having these plummets in her blood sugar. So, you know, again, I would have to go back and like kind of dissect that diet and take a look at what is it she's eating. 
And it might not even be something that's really on her radar in terms of like that it's affecting her blood sugar the way it is. Because again, different people have different reactions to different kinds of food. And so what makes one person's blood sugar spike and drop may not do that to another individual. Um, And it's also, you know, it just, it, it has a lot to do with your individual metabolism. So, you know, if that's, you know, you'd have, you'd have to take a look at labs. You'd have to maybe, you know, a great thing for her to, what might be a good thing for her to do is to, to purchase some kind of a blood glucose monitoring device, um, you know, or even a ketone monitoring device. And, uh, you can get them off of Amazon, uh, can get them pretty much at any, uh, you know, Walgreens or CVS and, and, you know, take a look at what's happening to her blood sugar throughout the day. Um, right. And how it's reacting to different foods. Well, um, one of the things Rob Wolf goes into in his latest book is, is really a lot about uh, blood sugar testing after, which is called post, postprandial yes. blood glucose monitoring. So generally you will do it an hour after eating and then you'll do it again two hours after you eat. And I don't honestly know the numbers off the top of my head, what those are supposed to be, you might. But finding out, figuring that out is one of the best ways because not only do people need different amounts of carbohydrates, but for one person, a banana could throw them off the charts. And for another, it could be gluten. It, so a lot of it could have to do with allergies Absolutely. Or, or, or some sort of sensitivity. So, you know, again, the, like you were saying earlier, the, the uh, glucose, um, the glu- sorry, the glycemic index and the glycemic load doesn't, doesn't always work for everybody. Everyone really does have to test themselves, see how they feel. And some of these, te- some of these tests are really great. The ketones, to the, you know, the ketones in the blood and the urine to help you get into ketosis. But post perennial blood sugar testing is a really great way to find out what carbs work for you and, and, and the, and the load, the load of how, you know, how much you need. So that's a great way to decide, you know, your level of carbs yeah, to get into ketosis and for how you feel. And those are easily purchased anywhere, right? You just buy, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure Amazon, any drugstore. Um, I know, I think the testing strips can be a little expensive, but once you dial it in, you only need to do it, you know, diabetics have to do that forever, but you only need to do this for a couple of weeks while exactly. you test the foods that work for you. And then you don't need it. You don't need to keep buying the strips anymore. Yeah. Another thing that I've done with people, if they want to do, if they want to check a sensitivity to a certain food, something we learned in nutritional therapy is called the Cocos pulse test. And what you can actually do is get take your resting pulse. So uh-huh. you want to be sitting for a few minutes and, you know, have your resting rate. So take your pulse for a full minute, write that number down, and whatever food it is that's in question, put it in your mouth, hold it there for 30 to 60 seconds, and then take don't swallow it because you're sensitive. You know, take that food back out of your mouth. Then take your resting pulse again. And if that pulse changes, drops or goes up six beats or more, you know that you have a sensitivity of some sort to that particular food. And that's that's just a marker. That's just something you can do on your own that you don't need an expensive blood test for. Um, you know, it's just something, you know, that can give you some information. I love um, that. What's it, what's it called? I'm going to type it out. The Cocos Pulse Test. C-O-C-O-S? C-O-C-O. Apostrophe okay. S. Yeah. Coco's pulse test. Okay. Yeah. So um, take your pulse for a minute and then and then hold the food in your mouth for how long? Like 30 to 60 seconds. Okay. 
and then yeah. take your pulse for another minute. And if it changes by more than six points six. up or down, right. you know that food might be a problem. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. I love it. Well, very cool. We don't have any more questions right now. I think, you know, later people will be jumping on and we'll probably have to be answering some questions. But this was really fabulous. Thank you so, so much for being here. Yeah, um, this is so fun. Thank you for, for asking me, for inviting me. Absolutely. It's super fun. I love doing this. And so we're definitely going to have to do more. Let me put up your contact info here. Um, it's a little bit small, but betterworldnutrition at gmail.com is a way to get hold of Kathy. Um, people can also find her on Facebook. And um, yeah, send me a private message if you, that's fine. Yeah. Great. And then just to kind of throw it out there, you work at the Reno Integrated uh, Medical Center. It's a cancer treatment center where you use the ketogenic diet mm -hmm. with Dr. Esslinger. And, um, yeah, so those are – I'm going to put your Facebook back up there really quick. So those are ways to get hold of Kathy, and you are doing some private consultations if people are interested, right, Kathy? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, great. And, of course, you all probably know you can find me at katanyataylor.com. I'm doing um, work in the clinic as well as private consultations. Uh, you can email me or get hold of me through the website or private message me or, you know, make any comments in, you know, below here as well. Keep asking your questions. We'll keep jumping on and answering them. And thanks so much for you guys that were here and asked questions. And Kathy and I will definitely do this again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Katanya. All right, Kathy. Good to talk Bye. to you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.